Oh, there's something about a great story, isn't there? There's something about a great story that draws you in, and all of a sudden you get, you get hooked into it to the point that you almost talk about it like it's real life. Now, just to get a, a feel, how many of you have watched This Is Us before? And how many of you have been sucked into the vortex that is now pulling you back for this season? There's only one or two that have... Okay, there we go. Yes. Yes, there's just something about a great story. Now, um, you can talk just for a second. Um, what, what, what makes a great story? Go ahead. Like, what makes a great story? People, the characters. Yeah, there, there's, there's something about great characters that, that draw you in. What else? What makes a great story? Emotion, yeah, emotion makes a great story. Now, what's interesting about this, I, I've, I've kind of tracked along uh, with, with This Is Us, and almost every time I watch this show, I cry. There's like this emotion in the story. My wife won't even watch it because she doesn't want to cry when we watch it. And so she's like out on it, and, and there's something about it that pulls me in. Yeah, so there's characters, there's emotion. What else? Yeah, you got to be able to relate to it. There's, there's something about it that is real. And what's interesting about stories like this, I mean, this is the most watched TV show over the last year. There's, there's, there's something about it where people begin to say, that's, that's me. Like, this, this is our story. There, there's something about this story that, that kind of gives a picture of, 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 of who we are as a people. Uh, the Bible, which is what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, is a story. And it, it's actually a great story. It, it's, it's a story that oftentimes we kind of, we, we, we get a little nervous at. It's, it's a little long. I get that. It's a, the story is a little long. And there's a lot of things going on. Um, and, and so many times we, we're a little overwhelmed and, and we, we put it aside because we don't know where to start. We don't know what it means. Have you ever, um, so you can be honest in church, it's okay. Have you ever like come to the Bible and you've been so overwhelmed with it, you just, you, you, you didn't know what to do with it and so you just set it aside. Has anybody ever found yourself in that place? Yeah, I know it's hard to admit that, but I think all of us probably have, have, have come to this place where the Bible, it, it just, it feels old and overwhelming and big and there's something about it that, that kind of makes us nervous. But what if, what if the story of the, of the Bible was written for us, not, not to see as intimidating, but rather to draw us in and help us see that it's not disconnected, but, but rather it is actually our story being written again and again and again. Um, a couple challenges. So there's three big pieces um, today that, that I want, that I hope we, we can take away. And I'll, I'll kind of bring your attention to those three big pieces and um, this is the first of the big pieces. So if you, if you like fade out for a couple minutes, I'll kind of pull you back and say, hey, this is another big piece. So this is one of the big pieces is that oftentimes we approach the Bible in one of these ways. Um, we approach the Bible as an instruction manual looking for some sort of directions. Does, does that make sense? Like if something goes wrong with your car and you, you don't know what's, well, that's not a good example because none of us go to the instruction manual with our cars. But, <laughs> but if we have something and we don't know what to do with it, and something's not working like it's supposed to, there's an instruction manual, and the idea behind the instruction manual is actually that you would open it and find out what's wrong and how you get it working, right? That's what an instruction manual is. Well, many of us approach the Bible, and we've understood that this is God's instruction manual for us. 
But when we go to it and we're looking for instructions and directions, we can't find what we're looking for. So it becomes overwhelming and we just go, well, it must not be for me. Some of us uh, read the Bible as a devotional, and so we're just looking for inspiration. Um, I've heard great stories of people who just open up their Bible and put their finger down, and, and they find a place like, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and that's in, inspiring. And so we see it as that, but then they open the Bible to the wrong section, and they are like overwhelmed with all the babies and women were killed what do I do with that? Like, that should not be inspiring to me and encouraging in the ways that I think. And so, so we approach it as a, a devotional for inspiration. And then some of us, we approach the Bible as a modern history. And we read it with our lens, our modern lens, looking for these highly detailed accounts. And we fail to realize that the Bible in many places is actually ancient history which is not written with highly detailed accounts of the events that took place. And that becomes frustrating to us, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. It's frustrating when we don't get the details that we want. Now, I believe the Bible has directions for us. And I believe it has inspiration for us. And I believe there are accounts of historic events, not just the way that we often in our modern world are looking for them. And so I, I believe, and what we're going to explore over the next few weeks is this that the Bible is these things. It's a collection of books and letters containing many different genres of literature, ancient literature. It, it's, it's this collection of stories, and, and there's different pieces of it that have different genres of literature, and you read different kinds of literature in different ways. You have different lenses that you have to use when you, when, when you read through these different genres. Um, it's inspired I believe the Bible is fully inspired, breathed by God, but written by individuals who are in certain contexts. They're, they're, they're in unique settings, and they have specific circumstances playing out in their life that they're writing to. So the Bible is, is, is unique. In each little area, in each little letter, in each little book, it's unique because there's specific things going on. And I also believe, and we believe, that the Bible is a progressive story of God's activity and interaction in the world that we live in. And that it's this story of God has not ended. It's actually continuing. Like God's activity in our world has not ceased. It continues to this very day. Now, just to give us a quick overview of the narrative arc of Scripture, um, there's creation that happens. Like God creates then there's this rebellion. Um, now, just to see if this plays out again and again. See, the beauty of the Bible is not just that it happened in the past, but it continues to happen. Um, how, many, how many parents or grandparents do we have in the room? So, you, yeah. So, we have a lot of parents or grandparents. How many of you have parents? Anybody? Okay, that's most of us. Good. Just making sure you're with me. Um, creation happens when we have children, right? There's this beautiful picture of creation, something new coming about. And we all, if we've had kids, we understand that this, this creation then rebels. This beautiful child that is crying and dirtying diapers, and all, there's like this rebellion at some point that takes place. And all of us as parents have at one time or another stood back and go, and we, we've said to our children, who are you? Like, where did you come from, right? 
because this rebellion has happened. Many of us have rebelled uh, against our parents. Then there's this calling that, that happens in this narrative arc of Scripture, and then Jesus shows up, which is the central story within the Bible, this progressive story. At the center is Jesus. Everything before Jesus is kind of pointing to him. Everything after Jesus sees the world in context of who Jesus is, and then there's this new kingdom that begins. So this is the narrative arc of the Bible. We're going to work through these over the next few weeks, and we're going to do it in a unique way, and we're going to look at some different things. To understand a story, you've got to begin where? In the beginning. You guys are already there. You're, you're there. In the beginning. And there's something about a great story that begins in the beginning, right? Once upon a time. You remember you know that, that, that line? Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. You guys, you know, um, now I'm from the south, and so in, where I live, the story usually begins with, so there I was. That's, that's how we begin our stories, right? So there I was. And, and all of a sudden, you're leaning in like, what happens next? You know, what happens next? Well, the, the story of the Bible begins in a very similar way. It begins by saying, in the beginning. When the beginning what? In the beginning, God. Like God was in the beginning. And it's God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's so many questions when it comes to the, the, this, this early story. If it were just a recounting of history, like for our modern eyes, there would be very specific details that we would be looking for. But the Bible leaves room for questions because I think God wants us to engage in the story, almost like we do with This Is Us. It wants us to like jump into the story. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the very next line says, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, which like if we read that with open eyes, it, it should lead us to all kinds of questions. Well, what does it mean that the earth was formless and, and void and that there was darkness and was God light? And I think God's light, but it doesn't say that there's light yet. And, and so where does all this go? Where did it all come from? Well, it calls us into the engagement with the story. So God begins to speak things and there's this, this rhythm to this it's, it's actually an, an ancient poem. There's this rhythm to this ancient poem that God says, let there be light, and there was light. And God looked at it, and he said, it was good, it was good, and he creates, and it's good, and everything is, is good. And then, chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. Now, there's questions that you should have, we should have when we read this, right? Like, who is us? Like, what does that mean? That God is in us? What does that mean? And, and, it, and it begins, like, if you've read the Bible, it plays out that, that God is, that, like, there's, there's like this three persons of God. It's one God, but it's, it's this relational God. who's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which it's confusing. There's, there's these confusing pieces, but... God says, let us make human beings in our image, which again, so many questions there. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground, except for cats. And so, <laughs> just kidding. I'll get emails. I know, it's all good. Um, Joe at McDowell.Church. Um, so God created, so then God created human beings God created human beings in what? His own image. 
God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, at this moment, the grand work of God, the, the beauty of the world in which we live, the power of creation, unbelievable, right? We're, we're watching a hurricane. The power of this, this created world is massive, Think for a minute of, 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 of a, a time, a, a moment when you, when you stood and you saw something out in creation and you thought there is nothing more beautiful than that. Maybe it was a, a sunrise or a sunset in, in Arizona because there's not much that beats it, right? Maybe, maybe you were standing on the shores of an ocean and you were looking at the Gulf Coast and it was just gorgeous and you thought to yourself, there, there's nothing. Maybe you were in Hawaii or maybe you were in... In, in, in the Alps, in, in Swiss Alps, and you were standing above the mountains. And, and I remember the first time as a kid being overwhelmed, and it was in, in, in the Rockies. And, the, and I was with a bunch of kids, and we were skiing. And I remember standing at the top of a mountain, overwhelmed. I had seen pictures. I had never been there. And I was overwhelmed with the beauty of God's creation. Have you ever been there before? Like just overwhelmed by what you see. And now, those of us who live in the valley, we like to brag, and so we post it on Instagram, like the sunset, and we're like, you know, God's beauty, it's creation, it's unbelievable, don't you wish you lived here too, it kind of thing, and, and it's just overwhelming, but, but that, whatever it was for you, that is not the central act of God's creation. Like if you read through the story, as beautiful as it is, he created human beings in his own image, like this should make us stop in our tracks and, and begin to ask, what does that mean that we were created in the image of God? And most of us, we, we stare in the mirror, we look in the mirror and we think, I'm not, I'm not created in the image of God. Like we have this, this, this physical thing and this mental thing that plays with us and, and we, we might look and we say, other people might be created in the image of God, but not me. And yet the Bible, the story of the Bible, which should pull each one of us in, tells us that, that men and women, all of us, created in God's image. Now that's overwhelming. We're created in the image of God. God bless them, us, humanity. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth Govern it, reign over the fish and the sea, the birds and, and all the animals. Image of God stamped on every one of us. So this is the second big piece. Don't miss this. That we, we are image bearers of God. We're, we've been stamped with, with the image of God, each one of us been stamped with the image of God. Um, David wrote the Psalms. Uh, most of us have heard of, of King David at, at one point or another in the Bible, and he wrote many of these Psalms, and, and they, they kind of take this interesting trajectory. Um, he has the highest of the highs, and he has the lowest of the lows. Like, David has these moments where he's like, God, I can't get away from your presence. You're everywhere. You're awesome. And then he has these moments where he's like, God, where are you? Like, I am being surrounded by my enemies. I'm in the pit. Do you even exist? Now, if, 
if we don't re relate to that, I mean, all of us can relate to that, right? Moments where we think God is with us and then moments where we think that God doesn't even exist. Well, that's David. And he's wrestling with this, this concept of being an image bearer. And this is what he says. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, he asks this question, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God. He's like saying, God, you, you made us just a little lower than you, higher than everything else. On, on, if you think about a food chain or something, like just a little lower than God, you've made us. The, 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 the word there, the Hebrew word is actually Yahweh. It's, it's not like just a little lower than angel. It's, it's a little lower than God. Like he's made us just a little lower than, and then he goes on. He doesn't stop there and he says, you made them a little lower than God. You crowned them with glory and honor, and you gave them charge of everything that you made. You gave them charge over everything that you made. And I think in this, as, as these writers and as we wrestle with, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does that, what does that mean for me? It, it gives us this picture of, of purpose in this world. You have purpose in this world, and I have purpose in this world. And none of us are useless to the world that God created. You've been stamped with his image and you've been given some things. And here's the, the other big piece of today, the, other th the third piece that if you have your journal, I mean, write these things down. Here's what it means to be made in the image of God. As image bearers, we are, we've, been, we've been given responsibility. So we are responsible for something. What are we responsible for? We're responsible to care for, protect, and to steward the creation that God's given us. Now, I know there's this thought at times, like, like does that mean God's green? And I, I don't know what I believe about all the, the things that I read in science and all that. I, I get that. But here's the big picture, is that we have to take the world that we've been given, and we have to pass it on to the next generation. Do you agree with that? Like, we have to pass what we have, and, and, and they get it next. Like, when we're gone, they have to live here. We all agree with that, right? Like, they don't get to go anywhere else. There's not another planet they can go live on. And so... Because of that, we, we're responsible to care for and protect and steward creation. We have people in our church, I love this, um, we have this solar company uh, here in the valley, and, and this is part of their mission, is to steward God's creation in a way that makes sense so that we can pass on something better than what we received. Now, how awesome is that, right? It's this, this beautiful picture of taking what God's given us and saying, we don't want to just use up everything he's given us, but we want to take it and we want to pass it on, and we want it to be better than what we had, right? So we're responsible, but we're also resourced. God has given us incredible minds. He's given you a mind. He's given you abilities. And what does he give you these for? To develop, to create, and to multiply, right? He wants you to join in his creative act in the world. Now, how many in this room are list people? How many of you make lists? Wow, God bless you. You're list people. You make lists. Um, I bet that most of you who, who raised your hands right there and said you're list people, you probably love Excel spreadsheets, don't you? Do you, do you guys love Excel spreadsheets? Like, you love to get it worked out. Man, that's part of what God's given you, the, the mind that he's given you. Some of us, he hasn't given that, right? Can I get an amen from some of the others in the room? He's given others, like, these creative minds that sometimes drive us crazy. We're like, would you land the plane somewhere? I don't even know what you're talking about. And we're singing these songs about it's up there, and it's, I don't know what that means. And so he's given us all these resources, and they're different. He's given you gifts. 
And he wants you to develop, and he wants you to create, and he wants you to multiply the beauty that's in the world. One of the things I love about music and art, I mean, it draws us in, doesn't it? There's something about it that draws us in, but I love it because it gives us a picture of something better. That's part of what God wants us to do with what he's given us. We're resourced, but we're also relational. And this is a challenge for some of us, like to be with others, not just to be around others. One of the the truths of of our world today is that we can be surrounded by more people than we can imagine and yet be as isolated and lonely as ever. And some of you know what that feels like. In some of our biggest cities, you talk about New York and L.A., I mean, these cities that are full of people and people are more depressed and more isolated. And part of it is because we're just around others. We're not actually with them. And this is the beauty of the church coming together to be with each other because we're relational beings. God's, he's put this in us. And then um, we're reflective. We reveal, now all of us reveal and represent something. Do you remember your parents telling you when you leave, don't forget who you represent tonight when you go out and do your thing? Like, don't ever forget you represent our family. My, my parents used to tell me that. I love it. We, we all represent, we reveal something. And when we have the image of God stamped within us, God wants us to reveal him to the world around us. He wants us to be reflective of his nature, his love, his grace, his mercy, his hope, his peace into the world around us. And all of us are reflecting something in this world. The New Testament writers, they, they, they saw, this is called foreshadowing in story. In literature, foreshadowing, I'm going to give a little foreshadowing. They believed that that it was very difficult to understand an unseen God, and they believed that God gave us an example of how to be human. Guess who that is? Jesus, yeah. You're like, I'm in church, and I think it's Jesus. I should probably say Jesus. Jesus. They, They believed that Jesus was the image. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, and so if you don't understand what it means to reflect God, look at Jesus. He does it perfectly. He reflects God's love and his grace and his mercy. This is how, it, how you should be human. He goes on in Colossians. Paul is writing this, and he says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator. Look, look what he says. And take on his what? Image. Like you take on his image so that you may reflect it to the world around you. And there's specific pieces of that. I mean, this, this is the beginning of the story. It's creation. It's it's God stamping us with his image. You are an image bearer of God. And you are not useless. And you are not done in this world. And you have something to offer. God wants you engaged, not just in a church setting, but he wants you engaged in your business, in your hobbies, in your family. He wants you engaged to further his love and his grace and his mercy. So what do you do when, when life doesn't turn out the way that you think it, does, you think it should, the way that you plan for it to, to turn out? What do, you, what do you do with that? Well, we all, we all have to wrestle with that. My guess is every person in this room at some point in your life has said, well, this, this isn't what I thought it would be. This hasn't worked out the way I planned. There's something about stories that, that grab us and this is us is no different. 
What do you do when things happen that you weren't planning? If you miss the beginning, you miss the story. And the beginning of God's story is that he planted on you and within me his own image. And he's called us to bear that to the world around us, hasn't he? Would you stand with me as we close? As you leave this place, may you, may you dig deep into your soul and your heart and may you find the image of God there. And may you reflect that image to the people around you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. And may, may you carry the purpose God gave you. May you use the resources he's given you to create and multiply the world in which we live. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.